What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, everyone, welcome back. I am really excited to have today's guest on. To be honest, she was actually submitted by a friend who, I don't even tell you this, she texted me one day and she was like, you need to have this person on your podcast. And I was like, all right, like people tell me this all the time. They're always submitting their friends and different people that they think would be great guests, which is awesome. Keep doing that. Um, But I immediately went and looked at this person's profile and knew that she had to come and share her story in this space. And thankfully only lives like just down the road. So it worked out very, very, very splendidly. Please welcome uh, Marky Etier. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So you have quite an incredible story and you're one, I was just saying, you're one of the podcast guests that I actually did a little research on (laughs) because usually I like to be surprised by a story. However, your story is one that... I think for many people don't realize is something that happens so close to home. It's not that we feel like it's something so foreign. It's something that we see in movies. It's something that won't touch us. It won't touch our families. And you have kind of come in and shared your story and you're changing the way that we're looking at the subject. So take a moment, take 10 minutes, take however long you want and tell your story. And then we'll kind of go from there because I really, I really want people to get a chance to, to hear this and listen with a lot of intention. So, so take your time, tell your story and let's go. Okay. Sounds great. So it all started when I was a teenager and I was basically the perfect victim for these predators. So I was this vulnerable girl and I was seeking love and I was seeking attention like we all are kind of like after high school, high school age. And I just never felt good enough. You know, Mm -hmm. my, my mother left years earlier, you know, I was the youngest daughter. So I felt like nothing I did was ever good enough as my sisters, or I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have what, you know, I wasn't cool Mm -hmm. and I was just very insecure And I started working as a waitress 
And I had no social skills at all, right? Like no one really liked me at all. That'll make you have some skills real fast. Yeah, so I learned them real quick. And this girl that I worked with became my friend. And I was like, oh my gosh, she she thinks I'm cool. And she was from Toronto. And she's telling me she goes to cool parties. She said she grew up with Drake, had a relationship with him at one point. Wow. And, you know, whether that's true or not, I was like, this is so crazy that she wants to be my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and our friendship blossomed just over text message, just over um, while we were at work, she would compliment me, tell me I'm pretty. And I was like, I'm totally going to hang out with this girl. Like she makes me feel everything that I've wanted to feel. And then so she invites me up to her birthday and she's like, come party with me and my friends. Like, don't worry. I've got bottle service covered. Everything's covered. I'll pick you up. So I was like, perfect. I don't have a car. She picked me up from Hamilton and drove me back to her place, which is about an hour drive. Okay. And we partied that night and we had fun and I was intimidated because she was older. She was 25. Her friends definitely different than the people I grew up, right? I grew up in the church. And And how old were you at the the time of this party? I was 18 and I was just turning 19. And so she kind of introduced me to a different life that night. And I just figured, okay, party's over. We're going to go home now. And I slept over at her place. And the next morning, everything changed so quickly. Like she woke up and she was mean and this different person. And I'm like, what's going on? So she took me in the car, drove me, and she drove me to a strip club. And she said, you're going to work because you owe me money, right? Um, And I owed you money for what? So apparently for the rental car she used to pick me up, the drinks from the night before, the food that we ate, just everything, like little, little things like, oh, we had a coffee this morning. Like you owe me for that. Right. And it ended up being $600. Oh gosh. Well, I didn't have $600. No. I'm 19 years old. Who has $600 when they're 19, right? That they can just hand over. Mm -hmm. So I said, I didn't have the money. And she said, you're going to give me that money today. And you're going to, you're going to dance. You're going to strip. So I was horrified. Like, absolutely horrified. I didn't even like having a conversation with a cashier, let alone be naked on stage in front of people dancing. And she told me that there was people that were going to make sure I work, right? So now I know that those were my pimps. Okay. Um, Didn't know at the time, right? So she was trafficking me. So what this is what they call domestic human trafficking, domestic human sex trafficking, which I didn't know the whole time that that was happening to me. Well, I don't, I don't even like just I don't even know how you would like, it, it just feels like such a, it was such an intimidation process. And I don't think that that's something that we would normalize in conversations in Canada that we would say like, Oh, this, like, I'm very aware this is human trafficking. Like I am <laughs> very aware that this is happening to me. Like, no, I don't even think I heard the words human trafficking until that Liam Neeson movie came out. Right. And then you just figure, oh, they take you overseas. This is happening, you know, elsewhere. So I didn't know. And at that time, um, it's not like it is now where it's kind of like a hot topic, right? People are seeing it in the media. People are grasping onto it. You know, it's interesting to hear about. And so it just didn't really exist in the media back then. So how was I supposed to know? How was anyone supposed to know that this was happening? Even the term pimp, I didn't think that was a real term. No. I thought it was like some guy with a cane, furry coat in in music videos or 
you know, down on the gross street, you know, yeah. that, that people never hang around in. Um, so I, I had no idea. This whole time that it was happening, I figured she was, I called her my bitchy roommate. Because I was like, this girl is so mean. Like, she's just a horrible friend. So I still considered her a friend. Yeah. Because even though all of this was going on. Yeah. So I thought, just to kind of give you um, a little bit more information, this happened every day. So that day, she, day. she made me work. And she gave me a quota. And that quota that day was $600. But it bumped up to $1,000 a day. And it's like, I don't care how you're making this money but you're going to make this money. And she would take all of the money from me. And then I would sleep. She'd wake me up in the morning, drive me to work, pick me up from work, take my money. And this went on and on and on. And so you never got brought back home. No, she never took me home. Okay. No, I had to escape this later a new on. life. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I didn't know what it was. And in my heart, I was like, this is so wrong. My gut was like, this is so wrong, but I didn't know what it was. So I, it, you know, I couldn't label it. So I'm like, well, yeah. what is it? Like, what's wrong about this? And I thought this girl is so lost. I could be her friend. Like I yeah. need to help her. Right. Like I can be that one person in her life that will be positive. Right. So I stayed because I'm thinking that I'm a positive influence in her life, but she's just taking advantage of me. Yeah. Right. Sure. So it's so silly. Like I look back, I'm like, precious me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. help this lady. She's trafficking me. I don't know what that is, but I'm just going to help her. Oh, God bless you. Yeah. Right. And then, it, and we had a bond, right? Yeah. It's like if you've ever heard about like traumatic bonding or whatnot, I, I grew to like her. And mm. this is what happened is that she herself had been pimped out and her, role now was to recruit other girls for her pimp. So okay. she's a victim herself. Yeah. Now she's a victim who's victimizing. Um, so yes, she is trafficking, but I know this, what happened to me, happened to her and she got hardened and she just lost herself and it's she's in survival mode. So I don't yeah. blame her for what happened yeah. because she's just so lost in that world. For sure. So you're now in you're in this. And how long was it that this was happening day after day after day that you're stripping? Um, did it ever turn to anything more? Like what was kind of after that first initial, okay, now I'm having to earn you more money. How did this kind of like spiral into being something that you were truly trapped in? I got used to it. Okay. When you're being told what to do every day, it's almost becomes comfortable. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm being told what to do. I'm getting driven places. Sounds silly, but it it's almost like comforting just knowing what's kind of going to happen. And she gave me false promises. Like the, the reason why I stayed was because she was saying she was taking the money to fill my dream life. So oh. in the, we call it the luring phase, right? So the trafficker at the beginning when she was my friend, she got to know everything I wanted, right? I wanted to travel to Hawaii. I wanted to go to university. I really wanted to make my parents proud of me, mm -hmm. um, but I could never afford university. So she used that against me where, hey, if we work, so now that I'm working and I'm getting more comfortable in the strip club, it's like, well, if we work, like think about in a month, you can afford a semester or two or the whole you know, school year of university and you can go to university. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I am building my future. This is success. And she's helping me save the money. 
right? right? So I think there's a pool of money somewhere being saved, but that was just going to her pimp and some of it was going to her. And how were the, how were, that's so weird to even say this sentence, but like, how were the pimps towards you? Like how, how was that dynamic in that relationship? And how did they kind of wield their power to keep you working? It was a weird relationship. So the, the main pimp I thought was her kind of boyfriend thing. Okay. They're just kind of like sleeping together or what I thought it was just, they were dating. Yeah. So he would come around about once a week and he didn't talk to me. He didn't look at me. He didn't say much to her. His head was down in his phone the whole time. He was rude, very attractive, dressed very nice. Okay. Um, And that was him. He didn't, he did not talk to me. So he would control her to control me. Mm -hmm. So what made me stay is threats. So if I left, they'd kill my family. So she'd get someone to kill my dad because now she knows where I live. Right. And now she knows I have a dog that I love dearly that I grew up with. And so she's going to kill my dog. She's going to kill my dad. She's going to expose the fact that I am a stripper mm-hmm. slash escort mm-hmm. to my social media because she's had taken my phone. So she's access to everything I have. And she's just going to completely ruin my life. And I didn't want that to happen. Of course not. I mean, it's such a, there's so many things that I think even, I've talked about this with my son before. Like, you know, they, when we talk about like kidnappers and stuff, they don't use the fear of what's going to happen to them in that moment. They use the fear of what they love. Like that mm-hmm. is their greatest weakness is who they love. I mean, it's what we've even seen portrayed in every superhero movie there ever was. It's not that like it's kryptonite to Superman. It's it's Lois Lane. It's the people totally. that they love. And so those are used time and time again, no matter what the kind of victim scenario is, it's the fact that you could be hurting someone else, whether it's in an abusive marriage, it's how it's going to, you know, hurt your family or hurt your kids, whether it's in a kidnapping situation, like the fact that like they can use it against what they could do to your family. Same with what happened to you here. I mean, it. I think what's important to kind of state with that is that people don't imagine that they would ever, that they would ever fall into a situation where something like this could happen. But when you're put in a situation where somebody literally has guns in front of you and they're talking about killing your family, you know, you might err on the side of believing that. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Totally. And they would tell me stories, right? Where, you know, I beat up this girl, you know, and, and she would tell me in detail of where it happened, when it happened, uh, why she did it. And, and then she'd go on to tell me, oh, if you, you know, if you leave me, like, I'm going to find you. And she say it kind of in a joking way, right? right? And how that's kind of smart, like that eye. You know those, yeah. like that look where you just can't find a soul in someone's eye? Yeah. She had that look all, like all of the time. And I was scared of her. I was yeah. so scared of her. And then she would be like, okay, girl, like, let's get you some Michael Kors shoes, right? And then it would be like, oh my gosh, okay, we're friends. Like, we are friends, you know? Okay, and we're going shopping. Like, we're having fun, right? And then- you know, that would be my treat for making more money. So then I was motivated to make more money. I'm like, gotcha. okay, I'm going to be the best worker that I can be, right? Because I knew that there was going to be a reward. And that was the cycle. And how long were you in that cycle? I'm going to say probably four or five months. It's okay. all blurred. Because they were also, I, I have watched your TED Talk and they did use drugs for you as well to make sure that you were kind of 
in a different mindset as well. Yeah, they did that to So on occasion, they would make me, they would rape me and then they'd get me to like sleep with their drug dealer or whatever. They'd put me in those situations. So they would drug me okay. um, before those situations. Okay. Now to work, they wanted a clean, like they wanted a clean girl, right? Gotcha. They want their girl looking the best, the hottest, you know, it's Toronto and they care about the looks, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I would seek out drugs from my customers because I couldn't do this sober. No. I would get to work and I'd literally ask around customers, can you buy me a shot? Do you have Coke? Like, do you have MDMA? I need all of the drugs to be able to make this money tonight. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so I would just be messed up all of the time. Four or five months of that. I mean, it sounds short now, but that is a long time to be doing something like that every single day. I find it's the one thing about, I watched this human trafficking movie once, I think it was with Mira Sovina or something. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, they talked about the fact that for so long, drugs have been this thing that you have to obtain and you have to sell. But when you capture a human, you can sell that one thing over and over and over again. You don't really have to replenish the stock. You can sell it, you know, thousands of times. And, you know, so knowing that, you know, those four or five months were not just like, oh, it happened a few times. This was your every day. Oh yeah. So first of all, like, how do you get out? How did you break the cycle? How did you get out? So I got out, but then I got in. So this is where, <laughs> <laughs> so this is why when I did my, when I did my TED talk, I obviously only had 10 minutes yes. to, to yeah. say something, right? So obviously a lot is left out. So For what sure. happened was I finally got to the place where I'm like, I hate my life, right? Like I I couldn't see a way out. And I, I'm like, so I confided in customers and I would talk to the customers that wanted to talk to me. And I'd be like, something weird is going on. Like my roommate is taking my money, right? And for so long, they're like, you have a pimp. And I'm like, shut up. Like, yeah. and this isn't like, this was, I don't know, eight, nine years ago yeah. where we didn't think to just Google something. Like I didn't right. think to be like, okay, what is a pimp? is this true? I was like, you're crazy. I, I didn't believe them. But then finally one day, one customer was like, we got to get you out. Like, I'm going to help you. So I was dancing at a strip club in Niagara Falls and my pimp, both of them were doing a drug deal in Toronto. So they asked these other girls um, to watch me because they were friends with these other girls. Okay. So they were they were dancers as well. So they mm -hmm. were victims as well with other pimps. Okay. And their job was to watch me while they were doing the drug deal. Well, I kept an eye on them. And while they were doing a dance, my customer went to his car. He got it started and I ran out the door and he drove me into a motel. Wow. And so I didn't have anything. I only had like a bikini on, like a bra and thong on, high stripper heels and I ran out the door and I lived in a motel for a month. Wow. And I was trying to figure out a, a plan. I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't go back to my dad's place. I mean, he would have loved me too, but yeah, I couldn't time, face yeah. it. There was no way I was going to tell him what had happened. I felt so much shame. Like, no way. That's not an option. And at this time, all of my friends had written me off. They just thought I was you know, unsavable, you know, mm -hmm. this, this train wreck of a girl. Oh, she's a stripper. Like I'm not going to be her friend. I, you know, terrible messages being sent to me. Um, so I had no one. And so I thought of this guy that I met down 
in bars years ago and I was like, he has a house. And like, we always had kind of this little connection going on. I'm like, I'm going to call him and I'm going to ask to live with him until I can find a job. And so I called him and he picked me up that night. And I was like, thank God, like, finally, I'm back in Hamilton. I'm comfortable. I know this guy. I'm going to get on my feet. And I was there for a week and I loved the guy. I was like, I liked him. We started dating. I'm like, because we're we're living together. We started dating. And I was like, wow, like life is looking good. And then after about a week, he turns to me and he says, you can't be living here for free. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And he's like, and I know exactly. He's like, you've already been dancing. And like, I had been doing sex work at the clubs to, to make more money. Right. He's like, you're already doing that. I love you. Like I, I love you a lot and I wouldn't care. I'm not going to judge you. Like other people have judged you. Right. Like, um, I need help with my mortgage. And so, and he's like, here, like, I'll come down with you. And he drove me to a strip club in Hamilton and we sat down with the manager and he's like, Mark, he wants to work. And I'm like, I, I don't really want to work here. Like it's my hometown, but he made me yeah. and he took all of my money, every penny of it. He would come in the club twice a night, collect my money and that's it. So he, he, in he a way, he became pimped, your new pimp. He became my new pimp and I was with him for months. And yeah, it's my, my getting out of that is would take forever to explain, but to kind of sum up the strip club owner knew what was going on and he knew about my last pimp and he called the cops. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a brave move there now. Okay. So a couple questions. Did the old pimps ever find you and did they ever do anything about it? No. So all of that fear that was kind of living in the background never actually manifested into anything. No. And I was so scared to the point where I wouldn't expose my tattoos in public because I was scared that someone, you know, would, I I was afraid up until about a year ago, this sounds really silly, that I was going to be, someone's going to do a drive-by shooting. And you're, because you're speaking. And I think that that's kind of one of those things that I can imagine would be scary. Yeah. Yeah. So I was in fear. I like never went out the door because they knew what city and they had all these, you know, gang friends and, you know, people with weapons. And uh, so I was, I lived in fear for a while. And Mm -hmm. then now I'm just like, you know what? (laughs) Screw you. (laughs) I'm going to live my life, you know? Yeah. Which is amazing. I, you know, I have so much admiration for you and the fact that you have chosen to speak and share because I really do believe that it's going to make an impact and potentially save a lot of people's lives. So I know that like having that fear, it can be hard to kind of like shelf and to kind of like work through on a daily basis. But I mean, it's not for nothing. Like it's actually for something so important and amazing. And I want to hear about what happened with the police. How did they save you? So I was working one night at the club and the like DJ called me into the manager's office and he started questioning me about the like the first pimp. Right. Okay. And I was brushing it off. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you questioning me? Like, you know, I didn't think anything wrong had happened. I, I was like, okay, waste of time, whatever. I brushed him off, really. I answered a couple of his questions. And he's like, yeah. can you come in tomorrow morning to the station and yeah. give me a statement? And I don't know what made me do it because it was early in the morning. I worked late the night before. I was hungover. And I did. I went to the station. And as soon as I finished my statement, they didn't let me leave the room. They had a social worker come in. Wow. Yeah. And she's like, do you need a doctor? And I'm like, F off. Like, everyone leave me alone. I'm 
fine, you know? And uh, it, you know, survivor <laughs> mentality. Totally. Because I'm with this guy, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking... I'm thinking that I'm in a relationship and everything's fine now. Yeah. And so she's asking me, do you need the doctors? We're going to set up a time where we go to a clinic. And then she's telling me that she runs a safe house. And I'm like, this is extreme. <laughs> you know, like yeah. everyone needs to chill out. So we planned a day for her partner to come pick me up and take me to the doctor's office. So that day rolls around. I completely forget about it. I'm a mess. So that night... Uh, not to get too dark here, but um, I was at this guy's house who drugged me and raped me. And I woke up naked in this apartment alone to the sound of my phone ringing. And it was the social worker being like, I'm here. I'm at your yeah. house. Like, where are you? And I'm like, I don't know where I am. So it kind of forced me to like, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a cab to you. Anyway, I met her. She took me to a clinic. She's really cool. She's actually one of my closest friends now. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. So she was really cool, super badass. And she's been trafficked herself. She was pimped out for years. Oh she has goodness. her own story. So she, it really helped me because she's like, and she gave me tough love. She's like, what are you doing? This guy doesn't love you. You're mm. going to end up a heroin addict on the street. You're going to be ugly. You're going to be, you know, broken. You're going to commit suicide or someone's going to kill you. And she like really gave me the tough love. I'm like, lady, like, <laughs> whoa. What kind of social worker are you? <laughs> yeah. So she was like so crazy. And then we went out for lunch that day and she was like, she convinced me to come to the safe house. And she's like, there, like, we'll get your life on order. We'll create like a resume. We'll get you your IDs back. We'll get you, you know, clothes again. Cause I didn't have any clothes. Oh my I, gosh. I didn't have anything. So she's like, we'll help you financially right now. And we'll help you get on your feet. But they only had so much funding. So as after a week went by, what was I, what was I going to do? I went right back to that guy. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But while I was at the safe house, I met this girl who was also trafficked. And her and I, it was like our souls connected on another level. Like to this day, I'm like, wow, we, we are like soul sisters. I love that. And yeah, so I met her and we had this plan. We're like, let's move in together. Like, let's get away from this guy and let's do sex work on our own. Now we'll get to well, keep now you're just the money. You're empowering yourselves. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. Right back in Rolls the business. Eyes, yeah. empowering yourself, and that's what I. But thought. that's what your mentality would be. Totally, I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, we've been used. Now we're gonna do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're gonna take it back. I get it. I'm saying it like it, it. It might sound so offside, but I mean, it makes sense coming from what you were coming from for that to make sense. Totally, and it it felt like the answer, and it felt like freedom. Um, and yeah, so there was, um, a volunteer that I had met at the safe house who took advantage of me and kind of prompted that. Right. So he, he offered me a thousand dollars to have sex with me. And I was like, Whoa, like, yes, please. I have nothing right now. And so even in your recovery place, your safe house, you, somebody was a predator. Yes. Yeah. So I just imagine my feelings and thoughts towards men. Yeah, I and, can't. And I, I'm, yeah. Healing from that has been the rockiest road. But so you and your friend, your little soul sister, you're now starting, you're being entrepreneurs. We, yep, we did. And we got a condo, you know, furnished it. It was so nice. And 
we did all of the things, right? We partied every night, worked, slept in till two, drank a bottle of wine for breakfast, and we're like, you know, living our best lives. And we traveled and we went to LA with a sugar daddy and we lived with him for months and um, joined an escort agency in LA. And everyone knew, everyone's like, Marky is in California trying to be like a porn star, right? And so my reputation diminished. Mm. And we were out there and then we went on a cruise with a customer. He took us on a cruise. And when we got off the cruise, they put us in jail. <gasps> so, and I was in jail for eight and a half weeks. Oh okay, my gosh. both of us. In LA. In LA. So Orange There's County. There's like a reality TV show around <laughs> that right now. Is there really? Yeah, it's like the LA, it's a women's prison in LA. Like I've watched it. I bet you that was the one because I was in the downtown LA one and then okay. they moved me over to like an Orange County facility. Okay. That was like lesser, what's called lesser security. Okay. But yeah, so they put me in there. I'm like, I don't know why I'm in here. And it was like immigration and the fact we were working in the States and they found out mm. my girlfriend told them when they questioned us that we were working in the sex trade. So now we have all these things against us. Oh gosh. And they just put us in jail and without like a sentence or anything, they're just like, okay, like until you get, go to court, like you're just in here indefinitely. And so that was scary. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel like every time I'm like, and then how did you get out of that? And then how did you get out of that? And then now you're okay. Now you're in jail. Okay. Yeah. How did you get out of that? <laughs> Seriously. After eight and a half weeks, where did you go? After jail? After jail. Like what was next? Uh, well, another sugar daddy, of course, oh because what gosh. are we supposed to do? So can you explain what sugar daddies are? Because it, this seems like a new term that's coming up a lot. And I've sadly been reading a lot of articles of especially university students who are struggling Ugh. to get by. And so they have these sugar daddies and I'm not going to lie. It's sounding glamorized. It seems like it's, I've even noticed it pop up in like casual conversations on some like online social groups and stuff. And I'm like, but is this not a, is it not a form of like almost like agreed upon prostitution? Of or course what is it? it is. So they basically, a sugar daddy basically provides you with like a lifestyle and you provide them with making their needs met. So sex. Right. Of course. Okay. Yeah. And anyone that says, oh no, they just want to have a conversation with me. That's straight up bolt. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's them trying to protect themselves. Um, but and yeah, I think it's hard when you're at an age where you're now an adult, you've got nothing to your name. You've got, this is all you've done. It's such a, a bandage answer to a problem every single time for mm -hmm. another person to come in and say, I've got this for you. Don't worry. I'll be your sugar daddy. You're okay. I mean, I'm, I'm repeating these things because I want people to understand and remember the mindset of what it would be like to be in your shoes over and over and over again, because it sounds like it's so, it's so simple to say, but just get out of it and just go home mm -hmm. and just, but it's like, but when you're in something like that, I mean, that doesn't really even sound like a, it doesn't even sound like an answer. It doesn't sound like a solution to go home. No, not at all. Because then you're stuck with the same, then you have to deal with things and you're You stuck already with, went home. You already ended back in it. Like, yeah. 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 And what, you're going to make $14 an hour, Yeah, you know, working your part-time job. That's, that's not realistic. Yeah. Right. You can't just tell someone to do that. So yeah, we would find these basically longer term customers that would provide us, you know, here, I had a Range Rover, right? Like here's a Range Rover. Let's go out, fanciest restaurant, whatever you want, get a present, get your bills paid. And yeah, it seems amazing. Like 
you know, I hope people listening right now aren't like, oh, let's find me one because yeah, no. it destroys you. Yeah. Like, and you're going out with these old men and people are looking at you. Like, and they know. And they know. You know, mm-hmm. I've had people walk by my table at restaurants and be like, she's a prostitute, like to my face. And yeah. it breaks you. And then, so what do you do? You chug your wine and you take your drugs and you're you're better, right? You numb out so you can keep doing what you're doing to keep getting through your every single day. Yeah. So, so how long were you in LA for? Like, how long was that season of life? That was six months, including okay. jail. So okay. we were there for four months, and then we went to jail, and then they deported us to Toronto Airport. So at Toronto Airport, we met one of our customers, and he gave us money to start off. So get first and last to an apartment mm-hmm. and everything else that we needed. So he paid for all of that. But then as that money was wearing off, we're like, okay, let's find a strip club because no, we're better than sex work now. We're just going to keep our long-term customers, but we're not just, we're not going to have sex with random people each night. So we thought we were improving. We're like, we're just going to strip instead. Yeah. So, and in, in Windsor, there's tons of strip clubs. So we're like, okay. So we went around, found one, decided against it and just started kind of taking advantage of the loyal, like our customers. And we just did that. And then what got me fully out of it was that my best friend betrayed me. And I had only had two people in my life, right? I'm in a new city mm-hmm. and I wasn't close with anyone. I was so lonely and I was so hurt and I I just hated myself. And then my best friend and my boyfriend started sleeping together. Oh, no. And yeah, and I found out about that. And I'm like, I have nothing. Like, I have yeah. nothing left. What am I going to do? And... I called up my sister. I'm like, take me home. Mm, that must have been hard. <laughs> and your sister's older. You're, you're the baby. Yeah. Wow. I don't know Sorry. why I got emotional. <laughs> I've never gotten emotional at that part. <sighs> but yeah, she took me home. And then she's older by four yeah. years. So she took me home. And I enrolled myself in school. And I did all the good stuff. But I kept to customers because I couldn't leave that lifestyle. I was like, I am getting my life in order, but I got to keep this on the side. Like, you know, what do you expect? And I was working part-time jobs. I was a waitress again. I was working at La Senza as a supervisor. And then I'd get picked up and I'd go do sex work and I'd come home and I'd be like, feel so accomplished, Mm. you know? And so weird. You would think that you would feel so like not that you would feel, you know, gross from it or feel like ashamed, but you actually felt for whatever strange reason through all this trauma, it was actually starting to make you feel accomplished. It did. And I think I was so lonely that it actually, it felt like love. So now I'm not, I'm not even in it for the money at this point. It was that someone cares about me, you know, and someone is offering to give me their finances because they care about me so much. That they're going to pay to see me. That's yeah. How much they, that's how much they value me. Yeah. I and can I see how that could get mixed up. Yeah. And so I felt, I felt on top of the world. But, you know, as the days went by, I was like more suicidal and like the less drugs I could do because people were catching on, you know, people are like this murky girl, like she's an alcoholic and I went everywhere drunk and, drugged up. And I was like learning that I can't be in this world living like this if I want like a normal life. Yeah. Yeah. So I I tried and I tried and I tried doing all the normal things that mm-hmm. someone would do. And then I met this guy <laughs> and he changed my life. 
So tell me how he changed your life because I know he has been an integral part of your healing and how you actually were able to kind of close that crazy, you know, hurtful, painful, whatever chapter that was in a kind of, I guess, unusual way. What did that friend come along and kind of say to you and teach you that made you kind of change everything and close that chapter? So he taught me and told me to forgive forgive like the people that which just like it honestly just it kind of hurts to even hear that because you're just like no well I know it felt like he was minimizing what I was going through almost like oh don't worry like you've been through so much shit but by saying you forgive someone that's gonna fix it like you don't know what I'm going through you don't know how hurt I am right but I trusted him he's been right before Uh And at this point, I've tried counseling. I've done all the drugs. I've read self-help books. I run. I'm doing yoga. I'm like doing all of the spiritual things and all of the healthy things and nothing's working. So I'm like, fine, I'll try it. So we sat on the couch and he kind of guided me through forgiving people. And it was like an intense feeling of calm. Oh, just in the process of forgiveness. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, like this this is powerful. Like it's crazy how much I'm holding in and how much of that was just released just by saying something and, and really feeling it. Right. So it's, it's not enough to just be like, I forgive Susie. Like there, my problems are gone. Mm. You know, you have to really be like, either if you don't want to forgive, be like God, universe, whoever, help me want to want to forgive. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, but I want to want to, you know, and do that every day. And then once you want to forgive and let yourself go, then it's like, okay, I forgive John and say it out loud. Saying things out loud gives so much power. I know. I always, it's like one of the hardest things because I think what happens when we say something out loud, it's like whatever we've been holding so close and so inside of us, the second it releases it, it kind of just somehow loses a bit of its power. Not all of it, but parts of it, even just being able to identify it and say like this happened or like, I forgive you. Speaking the words, they they are truly impactful. So I can imagine, I mean, I, I can imagine and I can't imagine because forgiveness is a really, it's one that I've even struggled with in just minuscule terms. And, and you're talking about it with these really big things. And somehow you've got to work through a very extensive list of people who have, you know, essentially used your good heart and used your intentions for caring and that desire for love and admiration. And they used it and you have to forgive them. How did you end up channeling that? It was a daily practice. And I wrote a list. I did. I wrote a list of all the names. And even if I didn't know their names, I'd be like, describe them. (laughs) Guy in green shirt in, you know, in Toronto or at Tim Horton shop, whatever. And I wrote a list and like, I mean, pages on pages. And I would focus in on two or one a day, depending on how, like what the level of hurt was, right? And what I learned was, is that, there and I'm I mean you hear this all the time is that you're taking your power back when mm-hmm. you forgive, right? Mm-hmm. And you you think that you don't want to forgive somebody because you're holding on to that power and you're you're like, no, I'm not gonna give them freedom. Like I'm gonna make you hurt, right? Like exactly. as long as I can, I'm not giving you the power. But what you're doing is you're getting your power back, right? I think one thing with forgiveness that I find is so 
incredible is that so many people think that when you forgive somebody, it immediately means that they are off the hook for something or that it means that they don't get justice or it means reconciliation, you know, like that, that part to me was really hard because I really had a few people who really, truly hurt me in life and forgiving sounded like it meant I had to make it better with them. And I was like, I had to forgive without reconciliation. And then when I understood that I was safe, like just to know that forgiving somebody doesn't mean that they have access to me again or that they've just gotten away with something, it's totally different. It honestly just resentment's one of those things that when it builds up, it hardens your heart in a way that you can't really reverse. And carrying that with you, I think I've, I've heard it before, like not forgiving somebody or, or, you know, having that is like having poison and drinking it yourself. Like, exactly. giving, you know, I don't even know what the saying is. There is a saying it exists, but <laughs> yeah, I love I'm, like, saying. I'm like totally jumbling it. But the point remains, it's like that constant where I, I want them to hurt. So therefore I need to hurt with them mm-hmm. if that's going to mean what it takes. I've watched so many victims stand up on the stands and say to their, you know, the predators that have hurt them and say things like, I forgive you. And you would think that that would be for that other person. And I think that's what happens happens is in our heads, we think we're doing this for them, but really we're doing it for us. Yeah. It's actually, it's pretty selfish, right? We're like, no, I'm not attached to this issue. I'm not attached to what you've done to me or anything. And now I'm letting you go from my life and I'm moving on and I, you know, and I'm going to live my life. And I had to forgive every customer, every person that bought me because I was so in their grip. Yes. And what happens is you have layers to you, right? So you have anger and then beneath that anger is pain. And then under that pain is love, Mm. right? So I was so angry with the world and my anger was jealousy. And this jealousy was going to ruin my relationship. I mean, I had all this hurt and pain from the customers that would buy me for sex and use me and disrespect me. And now I think all I'm good for is my body. Yes. And all I'm good for is what it's used for or what it looks like aesthetically. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm not in the sex industry, I'm seeing other women and I'm getting so jealous because now I'm not being empowered anymore because no one's buying me and I feel low. Mm. And so when I'm around with my boyfriend and I see a pretty woman, I am angry at her because she's just stole my power. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I I think a lot of us get caught up in feeling less self-worth because we don't feel as worthy of somebody else because of our bodies. I think that that's pretty common. But I think for you, you had literally been given dollars and cents to your body. So your worth was truly being worn and executed with your body. So coming out of that was incredibly challenging. So challenging. It took me years. It I oh my goodness, my relationship with him in the beginning was so rocky. We couldn't even be in public because so I- you say <laughs> him, is this the same him, friend, that helped you forgive? This is, he's uh, my husband now. We just yeah. got married. Yeah, so. Like, how, <laughs> how has, that's so fascinating because like, I can imagine, like, first of all, incredible man, but also you're an incredible woman for journaling through this with somebody else, especially with a man. Like, I think a lot of people listen and be like, what a guy. But also the fact that you have stepped into a relationship with a man after being hurt so many times by men, I mean, that's no small feat. That's actually really challenging. And how has it been for you guys? You know, you talk about jealousy was a really big issue, but even in terms of 
like intimacy or how has his journey been kind of like through a lot of these things and, and shedding a lot of the shame skin of your past? Like you've really turned it around. Yeah. Oh, it's been hard. It has been quite the process. Like it was hard seeing him as someone I loved and that loved me when all I could think of is what he would be thinking about other women. Mm. You know, is he thinking about not just buying someone else, but the dirty fantasies that I've I've heard about and seen firsthand. Yeah. And now I'm looking at this man and I'm like, you're a man. Mm-hmm. And that's men. So I put men in one box. Yeah. And I was like, sometimes I would like scream and be like, we don't fight. But I would just yell at him and be like, you're a man. Like, and I would be like, you're a pig for, from nothing he's done. Yeah. And like, if we were watching a movie and someone cheated on someone in the movie, I would freak out on him. And I would put all my anger on him and be like, like, you're gross. Like, you know, <laughs> men all together. They're just <laughs> all of you. There, there's no like redeeming qualities. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, um. but I, honestly, at the, at the amount of experience you've had, I can imagine why you would only think that. <laughs> yeah. And then even, you know, even for sex, it was like, I would shut down because I'm like, well, I'm not having, you know, that yeah, good, passionate, crazy. I didn't want to have the crazy sex because I just, I pictured that with sex worker. Yeah. And I've heard so many, I've actually read a lot of articles in terms of, there was a time where I was really researching um, a lot of connections between porn industry and human trafficking. And I was reading all these like different things about porn culture and how damaging it's been like on women and our bodies and stuff. But the one thing that I, that really stuck with me was how hard it was for the women coming out of that industry to find intimacy again with sex and truly not be a performer anymore to understand that like, you know, real sex doesn't look like porn. It doesn't sound like porn. It's like sticky and it grows and it smells weird and sounds happen. And, you know, like somebody hobbles their way to the bathroom afterwards. Like there, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a different experience and it's a lot. And it, even though that sounds like cheesy and funny, it's intimate because it's mm-hmm. like real and it's what's going on in your reality. And I think for a lot of women, they have this like in their head, even if they haven't come out of a situation like that, that they have to somehow perform in a bedroom and women aren't always wired that way. That's not how sex looks and feels like good for us. So it can be a really confusing thing. I can imagine for you to come into a situation to be able to find that intimacy again in a way that was like real for you and not just as a performer, not just Marky, the sex worker. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> how long have you guys been together? Um, we have been together just about three years now. Okay. Oh yeah. my gosh. We're both <laughs> the same. I was just saying like your husband looks so much like my husband and we've been together like the same amount of time and like we've been married, like you got married like two months after us. It's so yeah, wild. Yeah, that's crazy. So wild. So did you ever imagine you being in a situation now where you are married and oh now gosh. like you're a married woman with a little puppy living your life, working a normal job. And tell us like, what is your job now? What is it that you do? So what I am is an anti-human trafficking program consultant. Okay. Um, So I educate the community. So Hamilton, Burlington, Brantford. Okay. About human trafficking. And it's mostly service providers, police officers, um, people working with youth, uh, school teachers about human trafficking, the signs, how to prevent it, and also 
if you're working with someone that has been trafficked or is in the process of being trafficked, mm -hmm. how to work with them and how to, you know, how you can assist them in the best way possible for recovery. Right. So I'm interested because again, I think the the shock value of your story isn't necessarily all the things that have happened, but how close to home it is. And in such a, you know, such what feels like such a safe country like Canada for something like this to happen. How common is this? It is mind-blowingly common. It is happening everywhere. Like our program alone, so it's one out of the many places people come to that have been victims. Yeah. And we're at like this year, we're over 100 people. Oh my goodness. And that's just the one program. And a lot of people aren't coming forward. Right. I would have never came forward if someone didn't call the police. True. Right. So even the people that are reporting, going to the police, there are thousands more that aren't reporting. It makes sense. So if you're somebody who was on the outside, are there signs? Are there signs that you could see that potentially human trafficking is is at play here? And, you know, could you share what maybe a couple of them are or good resources that people can go and check out? We can always like add them in the show notes and stuff as well. Yeah, totally. Signs of luring. So there's a couple different phases, but signs of someone in the initial processes of being trafficked would be and it's most common in youth. Okay. So the average age of entry into human trafficking is 13 years old. What? It's disgraceful. That's my daughter's age. Yeah. So it's elementary school. So they're targeting these young, vulnerable girls. Gotcha. And so what they do is they, you know, they shower them with presents and they do all mm -hmm. these things. So if you're noticing unexplained gifts like eyelash extensions, how did you afford those eyelash extensions? Or how did you afford a Michael Kors bag? Or, right. you know, uh, those new shoes? Or you got the newest iPhone? Like, where is that coming from? Um, so you can notice things like that. If they're getting picked up and dropped off all the time by like a new boyfriend, if they're, you're noticing them close off their friends and family groups and they're focusing in on one person, all of those are signs that, yeah, like something's, something's not right, right? Okay. Like they could be in those initial phases, uh, the initial phase. And then if they are being trafficked, right, they're going to be, they're not going to be home for extended periods of time. So either they're skipping school and they're working while they're, the hours okay. of school are happening or they're staying out late and working, right? If there's hotel key cards in her purse, if she has plan B yeah. lying around, right? If she's always on her phone. Um, and these are the signs of someone being trafficked that lives at home. Okay. Right. Like yeah. if, if you're Which youth if they're is at being that trafficked. if they're at that age. So it, a lot of it takes just like paying attention and asking some awkward questions. It is. And that's the whole thing is communication, mm -hmm. right? Because people that get trapped into this are seeking something. They're seeking attention. They're seeking love. They're seeking money. They're they're seeking something that's not being filled. So the more that we're paying attention to our children and our youth and getting to know them and their needs and and filling them, the sure. less chance of them being trafficked. And I think what's important to note as well is it might not be an older man. Like what happened with you? It was genuinely a friend. It was a coworker. It was somebody very similar to you. So it would it would be maybe harder to notice 
or to even challenge, to think the challenge, like, hey, what's going on here? Why is this friend suddenly, you know, kind of become your whole life? That part to me is so shocking. And I've heard it's happening more and more where women are the ones who are actually the ones activating a lot of the luring because kids have been taught so much about being preventative, about um, predators who are males. And Mm -hmm. that's not necessarily how it looks, right? Which is what you've kind of proven. Now, I do have a funny question in terms of like strip clubs and stuff, because it sounds like that was such a common thread. Mm -hmm. Is it very common or is it normalized in that industry where a lot of those women are being trafficked? Oh, almost every stripper at the strip clubs are being trafficked. Wow. Like everyone has a pimp. I would, I would work. And if I would take a break and sit down and have a smoke, people would be like, your man's going to beat you later. Like, go make that money. Go like, you're going to get beat. And it was just common. Like everyone knew their man and you're all branded, right? I was a day away from getting branded. So what that is. Whoa. Yeah. Is it's a tattoo of the pimp, of their pimp name or their pimp symbol or whatever, showing that you're owned by this pimp. Wow. Yeah. So they all have their pimps tattoo on them. So other people know not to recruit them. Right. Right. Um, And they all, they're all getting pimped out and they're all hardened. It's so sad. Like I was so scared. I, I would get into fights in the change room. People would throw their curling iron at me and stuff. Everyone's just so mad and volatile. Yeah. All the time. Right. And it's just, they're hurt. They're just carrying a lot of pain. Yeah. This part was a big question that I had because I can imagine moving through a story like yours. There's probably, and now, you know, you like you talk to, you're married, you've got this puppy, you've got this life, you've got a job, but you've chosen to bring your story forward and you've chosen to make it your career now to talk about it. Has that been healing for you? Has it been, has it been something that has been good? I just feel like a lot of people would be like, I would just want to close that chapter and never look at it again. (laughs) And here you are. And you're like, and then this happened. Like, (laughs) you know, you, you're retelling the story for people's benefit. How has that been for you? Why did you choose to take that path for healing? Um, So it actually fell in my lap, but I'm glad that it did. Um, So I would... I started to do interviews, right? People would call me. So I got these interviews from um, the lady that was at the safe house, that social worker that I was talking about earlier. So she'd be like, hey, like this local church has some volunteers for this Friday night. Like they, they want to hear your story. Like if you're open to it. Right. And I'd be like, sure. And I'd do that and I'd ball my way through it. And then I'd be depressed for that whole week. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, I'm, I don't want to relive this. And I'd get random calls, but it drained me. And yeah. people would say to me, you're going to help so many people. And I would just think F off. Like it's not, it really isn't <laughs> your responsibility as much as I think it's amazing what you're doing. It's not your responsibility. Right. And, and, People put that on me. For sure. And especially earlier on when I wasn't even healed and I hadn't even started my healing journey, it was overwhelming. I just I just wanted to be like, stop talking to me about this. I'm embarrassed. Yeah. I like that was probably the main emotion I felt was I was so embarrassed that this that I got myself into this, right? I thought that's what I did, right? Yeah. And that I, I let this happen to me. Um, and so I wanted to block it out, but still. I'd get a phone interview and I'd just do it. Yeah. Right. And then I got a phone interview finished a couple months later. It was in Flair magazine. Right. Huge magazine. (laughs) I opened up my Facebook and I had almost a thousand messages in my inbox and it just happened overnight. I, I was selling cars at the time I was at my job and I opened up the internet 
and I'm on MSN.com beside a picture of Beyonce and a news <gasps> oh article about gosh. her. And I sank in my seat and I started crying. I'm like, everyone's going to know that I was a sex worker. Not everyone was going to know what happened to me and what human trafficking is and, and how to prevent it and all these positive things. I was like, oh no, like my reputation. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I felt at the time. Yeah, A lot of that has changed because now that it's open and it's out there, I feel so grateful for having, you know, kind of a platform to be able to tell tell people what's going on. And, and, you know, I have a niece that's nine years old. If I can educate her and educate people um, about how not to get into this or that, hey, if this has happened to you, like, it's okay, you're normal. You there's, know? A, there's another side to this and it's, and I think that's such a beautiful part of it because you're sitting here and... I mean, everyone will get to know you afterwards, but I mean, you're this beautiful girl and you're so put together and it's just an unimaginable thing to think that that was such, not even that long ago, such a contrasting story. And I think for a lot of people who might have, I've known I've talked to a lot of people who have had siblings and stuff that are in addiction or they're, they're caught up in something and it can be hard to imagine that there's another side, that there is something past a life like that, but you're kind of like this living proof of it and you're channeling it in a way that's so cool. I mean, tell us how you even got on to doing TED Talk. Oh, it was so crazy. Okay. I believe in manifesting, right? Yeah, yeah. But so when I was 16 years old, I wrote a bucket list and okay. on it was, I wanted to do a TED Talk, which is crazy. Cause I was like, for sure, there's no way I'm doing this. Like, why would you even do it? But on? I'm just, I know, right? Like, <laughs> right? TED Talk, yeah. exactly. Like how would I ever be able to be one of those people? Whatever. So that was has like, 16. Has like 365,000 views on it. Isn't that It mind is mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's so crazy. So anyway, that happened. That was a while ago. And put that dream aside. I was working sales at a car dealership. And I get a phone call. And this girl's on the other line. And she's like, hey, I found you through LinkedIn. I didn't want to send you a message through LinkedIn. So I thought I'd call the, the first job that was on your <laughs> oh profile and see if you worked there because I wanted to talk oh to you gosh. in person or over the phone, hear your voice. And she was like, I saw your Flare article. Would you be willing to do a TED Talk? Get out. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? Like, <gasps> I'm like, yes. Like, no hesitation. Like, she thought that she was going to have to convince yeah. me and convince me. And anyway, it ended up being like three days after my wedding. So I was just, that was oh that year goodness. was like so high stress. Um, but yeah, so she just asked me to do it. And obviously like- You went for it. Obviously I went for it. So for the honeymoon sure. got like a little delayed. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was like wedding a couple days later, TED Talk a couple days later, honeymoon. And then, oh, that was the craziest week of my life. That um, everything kind of clicked, right? I think that that- yeah. I think that when you talk about manifesting and stuff like that, there's so many, I've said this time and time again, but like, you know, I don't believe that everything happens for a reason, but I believe that we can make good out of everything. And when you look at your story and you hear it and just knowing that when things got better, it, it was literally like a clicking in motion. And, you know, I have faith. And so I, I, I used to really struggle in my past, just feeling like, why did God 
leave me in something? And why was, why me? Like, what did I do to people? Or what did I do in life that I deserve to have this pain? Like, why is this mine to carry? It doesn't feel fair. It doesn't feel right that this is my story. And I remember just feeling so lost. Like I just felt so abandoned by God. And the moment that things started to change and that I took action back in my life, click, 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 click. And then all I could think about was, so, you know, God was there. He was just waiting and he was setting everything in place. Or, you know, if you believe in the universe or karma or whatever it was, it was waiting. It was literally all right there. It was laid out for me right down to the fact that like, you know, I, I left I left my marriage. I moved in with my parents, but I ended up landing like my dream job. I landed my dream job. And then I walked in and I met the person who is now my husband. I met my best friend. Like I, all of these things, click, click, Mm -hmm. click, 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 click. And it was like, but all of that before you feel so abandoned and so alone and like, there's no way. And that's what I kind of like, your story is a lot more, um, obviously extreme, but (laughs) there, there's so much clicking that happened where all of a sudden when things turned, they turned and they clicked. Oh yeah. One after another, it was, it was insane. And your social worker is is your friend. (laughs) You're the guy who taught you to forgive is your husband. You know, you, you got a phone call. It's just so, it's so amazing. You know, we talk Mm -hmm. about manifesting and all this stuff, but like your, your life truly came together in such an impactful way. And you know, where's next for you? Like what's next now? Um, well, I just hired a business coach. Ooh. Yeah. So I feel like you need to write a book. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> I inquired about it, but I'm like, do you know what? I, I might, I do, yeah. I might do a book, but that's not going to happen this year. I'm thinking what's next for me outside of the human trafficking circle. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I'm fully, I love talking and doing interviews and public speaking. And I for will sure. always be a part of that always. Yeah. But I'm like, who else am I, right? Like I'm this person and I'm also, you know, all those things that I was before this happened to me, right? And and I want to play on my talents, right? So I hired a business coach and I'm going to be um, entering the fitness world. Um, So I'm very excited about that. I'm not too sure what it's going to look like. For sure. But do you know what? I want to empower women mind and body, Yes, right? It works together. It has to. Right? It's, it's, it's incredible that people think that it doesn't. I know. <laughs> I was one of them. I was like, oh, as long as my body looks good, I'll be happy. Oh, girl. <laughs> <kidding>. I know. <laughs> nope, that didn't work. So that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that'll be such a, and I think because you have come from a story that your worth was so put in your body that now you have a chance to like, I love that line um, that Beauty Redefined does where it's my body is an instrument, not an ornament. And totally. I think that that's going to be something that you can channel into a fitness world should you choose it. But I think whatever you do is going to be pretty incredible. So maybe let's wrap this up. And can you tell everyone where to find you and what what's the best way to connect, whether they want to ask a question or just follow along your journey? I know it's it's just, even if it's knowing your past and getting to kind of watch your future. I think you're somebody to watch. And uh, so let everybody know where they can find you. Sure. You can find me on Instagram. It's okay. marky.etta. So it's M-A-R-K-I-E 
dot E-T-H-I-E-R. And yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, but you know. Apparently on LinkedIn, you can just call her up at her last job. (laughs) That's amazing. Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me. I know that's the wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. It's like the little pocket in the middle where you can find all the other things. So thank you so much. I actually really appreciate everything you're doing. I I truly am in awe of you, but I'm also mm-hmm. just so inspired by how you've changed your life and how you've taken something that was as a victim and now you're empowering others to kind of turn their life around too in in big and little ways and teaching us all that human trafficking is not something that is happening in foreign countries. It's happening in our own backyards and there are signs and things that we can be watching for. There are ways to get involved. So if this is something that kind of really touched you today, just know that you can lean into that. You can lean into that and find out ways to get involved, to help, to educate yourself, to make sure that this is something that we can end in our lifetime. So thank you, Mark for sharing your story and until next time. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at the papaya podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.